Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody welcome back into a brand new episode of dimming the gaslight my name is mac and thanks for coming in for the newest episode so uh as i do with every new episode i want to thank last week's guest which was jamie jamie thank you so much for connecting with me on instagram and uh taking the time to speak with us about your current situation so many great stories if you didn't listen to that episode go back and listen to it but my favorite part was when you talked about how you were um, you caught your nex's lies on camera in public and how he called the police and that whole thing and um, how you know he kind of buried himself with his own lies. It's always so good when a narcissist gets what they deserve and uh, I like how he buried himself. So thank you so much for doing that episode with us. I thought it was super cool. Um, and uh, so I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about my trial you know, it feels like the last one just got over with, but my next one is only two weeks away. So, um, Brittany Parisi from Parisi Law Firm and I are vehemently preparing for it. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of good things. Um, there's some surprises that I'm going to tell you guys about that I think you're going to kind of be like, oh my God, Mac, you're kind of ballsy for doing this one. But, uh, no, Brittany and I have some cool ideas, so I'm super psyched about it. And then uh, another thing I just wanted to tell you guys about is you might have seen me post on Instagram. I had my first overnight stay with my children last weekend uh, since September, since that second restraining order that I received um, went into play. So um, yeah, I had my second overnight, I mean, my, I'm sorry, I had my first overnight with the kids since September. And you know now we're in April as this episode is getting dropped. So it was so, so, so nice. It's great. Um, you know, I've mentioned a lot of times, you know, I live in New Jersey, but I work in New York City and uh, my kids have become regular New Yorkers. And it's kind of cute because um, on the weekends, so I have a monthly train pass, um, but my kids can ride for free on the weekends. So um, my apartment is walking distance to the train to get into New York City. And uh, so I had them overnight. We went into New York and it was super cute. The, the train ticket 
counters, uh, they took a hole punch and they took the tickets and they made a butterfly and they made a Batman for on the ticket for my kids with the hole punch. And they thought it was so cute. And, uh, you know, we went around. There's a there's a cool place around here for sightseeing. It's called Little Islands around New York. And uh, we took them to Little Islands and we played and we got pizza. And for some reason, my kids are getting real. Well, my son is getting really into cars. So I took him to the Tesla store. He loves Teslas. We got to sit in a Tesla. We got some great burgers and pizza and ice cream. It was so nice. And then they slept over and, um, you know, I, unfortunately, because I protect my anonymity, I can't really show the picture, but, uh, I took a picture after I got my kids in bed. Oh, one other thing is, is really cool. So for some reason, my children are still in diapers and I kind of take this as a huge red flag because my son is seven and my daughter is four. And it's just a testament to my next's inept parenting. Um, but they're still in nighttime diapers. So one of the highlights of the whole thing is I convinced my children. I said, listen, no drinks before bed, you know, an hour before bed. And I was like, you're not going to wear diapers in bed. I put a little plastic over my bed and I said, you know, no diapers. You guys are going to, you know, you're big kids. And I, I, you know, I didn't kind of demean them over it. I just wanted yeah, you know, I wanted them to be on board with me. I want them to feel like, no, we're we're big kids, you know, we don't need this. And they woke up in the morning completely dry. So I was so happy about that. That felt like a major win. And uh, Brittany was sure to relay that to her counsel because you've heard some stupid stories from uh, her lawyer about how my kids defecate themselves when they're with me and stuff. So dumb. Uh, they'll blame me for anything, but it can't really be my fault if I haven't had them overnight in six months. Uh, but my very first one, I, you know, got that knocked out. So I'm super happy about that. Um, and yeah, I have some great guests coming up in the next couple of weeks, but I want to start with this one. Um, the guest that I have on this episode is somebody that when I discovered narcissism was in like the top five people I ever followed. And I went on her Instagram account and I took a look at some of our mutual followers. And a lot of you guys follow this woman too. Um, such great content. It's funny. It's educational. It's um, logical. There's so much good content on her site. And uh, let's get into this interview so you can see who I'm talking about. All right, everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So I have a guest with me today that I am super excited about and super honored to be interviewing. This is the person on Instagram that was my fourth follow of all time, meaning I literally, when I told you guys that like I was like hiding, trying to find accounts to educate myself on about narcissism abuse, this was one of the first five accounts that I followed. So I'm here with Tiara, better known as the self-love method on Instagram. What's up, Tiara? What's up? How you doing? Nice to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So like, it's funny, like, so you have, I don't know, probably over 100,000 followers at this point on Instagram? Yeah. Talk and everything. So... I mean, personally speaking, I've been following your content since the day I discovered narcissism, but I'm not sure so many people know your story so specifically. So I wanted to see if we could bring you on and maybe, you know, get your background and learn about how, like, you got into this influencer role and all those kind of things. Yeah, I'm, I'm an open book, so I'm, I'm happy to share. Okay, cool. So how did, your, how did you meet your narcissist? What were those love bombing stages like? I'm sure it all follows a playbook like all the rest of them, right? Definitely. Well, you know, I've had several narcissists in my life, uh, it, but it took me actually a long time to really realize that. Uh, but the one that woke me up was about a four and a half year relationship that I had with my older son's father. My, my son is nine now, but I met him when I was, let's see, I just turned 24 and he was 38. So there was some pretty big age gap there. 
he was tall, dark, and handsome, and I was a party girl, and, you know, just looking for love in all the wrong places at a bar, basically, right. where I met him. And, you know, it really didn't, there really wasn't a lot of love bombing in the beginning of that relationship, and I think probably because my self-worth was extremely low at the time, so the bar wasn't set very high. The guy didn't have to do a lot <laughs> to suck me in, other than be his charming self. Be his charming self. Well, so like you said, so there was like a 14 year age gap. Was there any like him kind of rushing things along to have children and like, you know, have the white picket fence idea and all that kind of stuff? Not really, because he was actually in the middle of a divorce at the time and he already had three kids. All right. So it was kind of more, I think, probably just opportunistic for him. Like I could slide into that mommy role and. He liked younger women, and he was a hot mess at the time, <laughs> living in his dad's, like, little bed and breakfast. His dad owned a bed and breakfast, and he had, like, a room that was kind of like an apartment, and so he was living there, and um, he had no money, like, no job, really, you know. Like I said, my, the bar was not very high. <laughs> yeah, it just felt the seam was low, and, you know, he's 38, and he's already, you know, he has those milestones. Did you have kids at the time, or no? No, no, I was... You know, just recently graduated from college, pretty aimless at the time. Like I said, I was just partying a lot. I was an art major, so I graduated from college and then it was like, now what? So, you know, and I was just working at the grocery store, just kind of, you know, not really doing much with my life. And I didn't really have any goals or, you know, anything like that. And and he was handsome and he was exciting and we liked some of the same things. And, of course, he threw his kids in the mix, like, within a week of us even, like, talking um and i just i just fell head over heels in love with the kids like they were amazing and really sweet and it, i just kind of felt like i kind of fell into this family that made yeah. me feel like i belonged and and it gave me some sort of purpose in my life you know i felt like i since i didn't have a direction like oh here here now i have a direction <laughs> Yeah, and he must have, you must have really been like, wow, this guy's really into me if he's introducing me to his three kids within one week. Right. Well, and, but the thing about it is, is like, he wouldn't commit to a relationship with me for a, a while. It was, um, let's see, we met, it was kind of, oh, it was around my birthday, so it was in September. And then it wasn't until like six months later that we actually got into an actual relationship. It was more of like a situationship sort of thing where he was, you know, telling me about all these other women and like, and I was still in that kind of low self-worth, like, oh, you know, whatever. But then I got sick of it at one point and was just like, you're going to have to pick. Like, I am not going to. And the funny thing is, is, is what I did, you know, because typical 24, year old um, kind of manipulative kind of things. We went to a party and I was like, well, if you're not going to be with me, like I just found someone else and was dancing with some other guy. And like he got super jealous and pissed off. And then he's like, no, you're mine. And then that's kind of how like our relationship really started. It's amazing how once they do something to you, like he's trying to make you jealous and tell you how desirable he, he is. And then once he yeah. finds you, you know, that double standard of once he finds you dancing with another guy, he's like blows his top. Yep. Yeah, uh, typical, very, very typical, you know, that kind of ownership thing. And, and I was seeing other people too, you know, while we had this like situationship and he basically punished me every time he would find out like I had, you know, hooked up with somebody else or whatever. And it was, so, and it, you know, of course, then I felt like I was this horrible person and he would like shame me and belittle me, despite the fact that I knew that there was all these other women that he was very, you know, open about towards me. You know, I actually lived in his dad's little apartment thing with him for a brief period of time when I didn't have a place to stay. And he would 
not come home sometimes. Like, he would just not be there. And I'd be like, hmm, I wonder what's going on. But I couldn't really ask because I wasn't his girlfriend, you know. So there was a lot of games. And <laughs> You're not his girlfriend? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Or made you take care of the kids when he wasn't around. Oh, well, and then, and then the story got really complicated because once we actually started, like, a relationship, there was a lot, a lot of stuff going on with his ex-wife still. She had had a previous restraining order against him, which was not enforced. And um, she got a new boyfriend. He didn't like the new boyfriend. And he accused the new boyfriend of molesting his youngest son. And then when, <laughs> then when he did that, he reinstated the restraining order. And so he got cut off from his kids completely, just all of a sudden. And, of course, the way that he spun that to me was she's vindictive. She's not protecting my son. She's, you know... Like, now my son's in danger because this guy's molesting him and, and, you know, all this stuff. So, of course, the, you know, the maternal instincts of me were like, you know, oh, you poor thing. Like, how can I help you get your kids back? So then there was, like, this whole huge custody thing. And, you know, and I, I became a witness and was like, you know, his character witness and all this stuff in court. And um, it took four or five months, but he was able to get um, custody back of his kids. He got ended up with 50-50. <clears throat> it took some time. They were doing, like, you know, supervised visitations and that sort of thing for a little while during that period of time. And uh, so, you know, of course, I'm kind of, like, dropped right in the middle of this as, like, the advocate for him during that time. And <clears throat> he's a mess, just emotional and you know, doing all this stuff, like, oh, she's taking my kids away from me again, and does their story, like, I, I'm, I'd like to write a book someday um, about their, like, my, my relationship with him and the whole story, but just the back, the backstory of their relationship and everything that occurred in their stuff, it, it's, it highlights so much of the abuse cycle and how misunderstood people are when they come in, because she did a lot of back and forth stuff, you know, like, she had the restraining order, she invited him back into her life. You know, they, they were living together again for a little while. In fact, I didn't know it, but like him and I got together pretty much a week after he moved out of living with her. Right. And poor thing, like, you know, she she ended up with this boyfriend because she needed financial support, basically. And I had a lot of judgment towards her because she moved him. He, he was from Brazil and like she moved him right into her apartment with her kids like that. You know, but I think more than anything, she was just struggling so much with we lived in a really expensive area. We lived in St. Helena, California, which is like central Napa Valley, like, you know, little two bedroom apartments, like twenty five hundred dollars, you know, and she's a single mom of three kids and working as a server, you know. So, you know, he's so my judgment of her is like, oh, she's got this, you know, guy that she just moved in and and, you know, is is using him. But she didn't really have a lot of other choices, really. And so. From my perspective, the way that my ex was like spinning the story with her behavior to, to me, I'm thinking she's bad shit crazy. She's abusive. She's, you know, doing all this stuff. Well, in listening to you, too, like, I'm wondering, like, how did you feel testifying to his character? You must have had those blinders on where you thought he was like an upstanding citizen. Absolutely. You know, from that point, from at that point, there had only been a few things that have really that had really kind of like, oh, maybe he's not such a nice guy, right? All of the, the stuff that had happened in our relationship up to that point, it was, it was easy for him to blame on me because, you know, of my low self-worth, because of the fact that I was partying and hooking up with whoever, you know, and so there was a lot of confusion and a lot of 
you know, it was unclear as to who the toxic one really was in that situation. Um, so it was easy for me to, to excuse any of his toxic behaviors. And he was blaming so much of his current position in life on his ex-wife, you know. Zero accountability like they always yeah. All right. So so he got some custody back. So what happened with her boyfriend after he accused him of molestation? Um, so her boyfriend actually ended up getting a restraining order against him. So free <laughs> and child protective services and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, so there was no investigation really made um, because his accusations were like he he's not great at court stuff. So he was kind of like more just like publicly announcing that this guy had had molested his son rather than taking like legal measures actually do anything it wasn't until in fact i'm trying to remember the timeline here it wasn't until like a couple years later that he ended up having his son interviewed for that and his son was so at the time his son was around two and a half maybe three and so the the interview didn't occur until he was like four and so by then his son had like a script Right. Like looking back on it now, I'm like, how much did he just like program that into that child? I can relate to that. My my next is doing that with my children now. And it's scary. It's a, it's pretty scary to think that someone like that. And I think he believed it. I think he was delusional enough to believe it so much that he just repeated that story to his son so many times that his son maybe probably to this date, maybe even believes that it was true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. Like, so, like, my kids, for example, like, so I have a uh, soon-to-be seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and they love me, but the four-year-old will stay on the phone with me when I do, like, my nighttime visits, but the seven-year-old, he's, like, always like, can we get off the phone, Daddy? Can we get off the phone? Can we get off the phone? But when he's with me, he loves me, but I've come to the conclusion that he loves his mom, too, and he's he's kind of in the middle of this where he feels like if he shows me any sort of, like, love or affection over the phone, he feels like he's betraying his mom. So with this four-year-old kid, he probably feels like, well, I love my dad. Why would my dad lie to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. and it's it's heartbreaking, like, how much – I mean, I get, and hopefully, you know, we can get into it in terms of, like, how much <laughs> this relationship was just insane. <laughs> And it's your show. You get into whatever you want. <laughs> well, I mean, I literally I could talk for hours about like all the things that happened in that relationship, because once he got, you know, that 50 50 custody back, you know, we kind of did the, the you know, the housewife. I kind of did the housewife thing with him. I basically took care of the kids, you know, at least the nitty gritty stuff, yeah, you yeah. know, when he had them in our, our time, like. I made all of their lunches, like, I just did, like, all of the, the brunt work, and he got to do, like, the fun dad stuff, you know, and, you know, not to say that he actually was, you know, he was actually pretty capable of taking care of them, you know, there were times when he was solely responsible for taking care of them, but he, he was like that military kind of type of dad where those kids were, like, trained when they were with him, Regiment. and, you know, and for someone that isn't a mother, like, I wasn't a mother at the time, my four-year-old's going to come in here, lock the door so he doesn't. <clears throat> For someone who wasn't a mother at the time, like, now that I am a mother, like, my perspective is completely different. But at the time, I was thinking, like, oh, wow, like, he must be such a great dad. Like, these kids are so good for him. Uh-huh. They, you know, they fall in line. They do what he asks. Like, his daughter, he had just wrapped around his little finger, and it, if she did anything wrong, she would cry because she didn't want to ever displease him. She was a golden child. She was the oldest, the golden child. Like, he just, were they what? Were they afraid of him? I think they were. 
I think they were, and I didn't see it at the time. Uh, you know, I and I, I just thought she was really strict and really on top of things. And um, it wasn't until they started getting a little bit older that I started seeing the abuse in that, uh, you know, and I think, too, probably because it was more the initial phases of the relationship. But um, we moved into, we ended up getting our own apartment. So we ended up moving out of his dad's and we got our own apartment. And that's when things really started getting a little bit wacky like more noticeably. I mean, there was always kind of red flags and things, you know, here and there, especially with his kind of, he was, he was very critical of me all the time. You know, just picking at little things. I, when we first met, I was kind of on a weight loss journey. I had gained a lot of weight in college and he was very, he's a somatic narcissist. He was very like into his body, like very physically fit. He was a martial art master. He did a lot of weightlifting, you know. So, <clears throat> you know, I had like this standard Name. Kind of what image that just screams image to me. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like he was and he but he wasn't the kind of person he wasn't the kind of narcissist that is into anything like financial. Like he, he was terrible with money, obviously. <clears throat> he he would make money and just lose it just like that. Um, he he in fact, before him and his ex-wife had been growing marijuana in uh, Mendocino County had made like millions and he blew it all. Like, he had a house, he had a big Mercedes Sprinter, he had a BMW, he had all this stuff, and he just walked away from it. Like, like he said, he told me one time he had about $150,000 in credit card debt that he had racked up, He had, and then they just walked away from the house, and both cars got repossessed, and he didn't pay a dime. He didn't file for bankruptcy. He didn't do anything. He just walked away from it. And so he would constantly have, like, creditors, like, calling him, like, you know, stuff in the mail. And him and his dad had the same name. <laughs> so he had him and his dad had the same name. And so they were, you know, he, his dad was always pissed because he'd be getting this mail that had his, you know, his name on it with all this creditor stuff. And he was always pissed. And his poor ex-wife, you know, like, she's kind of part of that. And so she's, like, trying to deal with her financial end of all this stuff. Um, but he didn't care. Like, he just, and, like, we lived in this really, really tiny town. And he was, like, and, you know, this should have been my first clue here but you know being 24 and just thinking it was hot like it's like whatever he would walk around town he was the only guy that would walk around town without his shirt on wearing the same sweatpants that he'd had for the last 10 years <laughs> hanging off of him just strutting his stuff down the street like he's like the, the biggest badass in town he did not give a flying you know what you know what like he did not care first all you want <laughs> right like and so to me being that kind of 24 year old you know, lacking self-worth, I'm looking at this guy like he's a god. Like, he's, like, like he's so confident, so overconfident. To me, it was like, oh, like, this guy must be special, and he's giving me all this attention. See, like, that goes back to, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, is, like, you know, when when you hear the term narcissist, you just think it means, like, extreme vanity, right? But, like, we also come to find out that there are many narcissists are very insecure. But, like, in this, you know, I'm just picturing this guy walking down the street with his shirt off and his sweatpants hanging off his ass. And, like, <laughs> I'm just thinking that he, he sounds like the kind of guy who, like, just holds up a mirror in front of himself. And he's just like, I'm the shit. If you don't see it, too bad. Yeah. I mean, that was the vibe that he gave off for sure. And I think, you know, and I think narcissists that are like that, it's just a facade. Like, it's like, you know, that it's that image that they're trying to project to protect that delicate, weak sense of self. Did he have uh, enemies or like people who like saw through it or be like, oh, God, he's so annoying. Oh, yeah. Like there either you loved him or you hated him. And there was a lot of people that hated him. And he didn't he acted like he didn't care. Maybe he did. But he was just like he thought it was funny. He thought it was hilarious. Honey, I mean, whatever this image is that's going out of my head, like, yeah, it is kind of funny, but... 
It's awkward for sure, and I'm sure you were uncomfortable. Are you also yeah, there? I mean, he definitely made some enemies for sure, and you know, people who had opinions about him had pretty strong opinions, and I can understand why. And you know, and he also kind of made a name for himself in the little town that we lived in because. I'm pretty sure, I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure that during the duration of our relationship, he broke up a marriage because he was having an affair with um, this kind of, and it was a it was a pretty predominant family in Napa Valley that he, you know, kind of inserted himself. He was like her guru because he was a, he would like do personal training and he would do like martial art training and stuff like that with these women as, you know, he would teach them self-defense and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, and he would teach classes um, in, in town with a lot of women and, and stuff like that who just kind of worshipped him and, and treated him like, you know, this guru guy. He And he also claimed to be a yoga teacher, even though he wasn't certified. And, you know, he would kind of incorporate yoga and some of his martial arts stuff. So he thought he was the shit. Like, he thought he was literally legitimately like he could do whatever he want without any sort of licensing. or And he would never work a regular job because he couldn't because they would just garnish his wages, either for child support or for you know, all of this money that he owed. So he would do everything cash under the table. He was also a massage therapist. So he, you know, did a lot of, and he had a lot of high end, like paying clients. Like he, you know, he just would swindle the right people into thinking that he was, you know, <clears throat> the best of the best. And he had the confidence, you know, to, to pretend like he was. So and I'm sure that anyways. you are like, cause you said you came into the relationship feeling worthless. So like his high end confidence probably didn't cater very well to your low end self-esteem. Exactly. You know, and being associated with him kind of made me feel special in some sort of way. But like I said, <clears throat> I didn't really start seeing like the abuse, especially of his children. And so we moved into that apartment together. I remember even one time recording him screaming at them because I was just like, something is not right about this. I don't even know what happened to the recording. I wish I had saved it and maybe sent it to his ex-wife, but uh, he was, he had them all lined up. I think they were, what ages were they? They were like three, five, and seven, I think at the time. They had them all lined up in front of him and he was just berating them, calling them all kinds of names and telling them how stupid they were and swearing at them and and I was just like, whoa, like, this is not, not okay. Now you understand why those kids were, you know, well, he was so militant in the whole thing. Right, exactly. And, you know, just weird stuff um, with our landlord and stuff. We ended up getting kicked out of that place because he kept causing, you know, issues with the landlord. And, you know, and then other things were going on. His ex-wife was having some issues. I don't know what was going on with her. I'm friends with her now. Like, we, we you know, we have conversations. We, we talk occasionally. And, and when I finally left the relationship, I kind of went to her and, and try to get her side of the story because I'm like, yes, you know, obviously there's stuff here that I don't know. And it's funny because when she told me her side of things and she she volunteered a bunch of stories that he told me. But from her side, I was like, oh, your side's actually yeah. more accurate. Yeah, you're not the first person to say that on this podcast. People say that all the time. And, and so my my next I've been out of my home for about 16 months, but. The listeners of this podcast have come to know my next's now fiance, 16 months later, is named Fireman John. And it's funny. So Fireman John is like a reoccurring character on this podcast that people are just waiting for him to be a guest on this show because it's just going to happen one of these days. Fireman John is going to be on this podcast. So help me God. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's great when that happens because it's so affirming, I think. And I'm, I'm grateful for her because... You know, she could have had a huge, you know, chip on her shoulder and grudge against me because of, you know, being a character witness for his 
custody case and really kind of interfering quite a bit in the. Oh, that you didn't know any better, you know? She fell for it at one time too, so she's looking at you going, no, I get her. I understand how she's falling for it. And he's, yeah. he's good looking and it's just, you know, all the pieces of the puzzle always fit together when you have that hindsight being out of it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there was just so much that happened in that relationship that I, you know, I haven't really been able to ask her because I think she's probably pretty sensitive about it still. But like at one point she gave up custody of two of her kids during when we were living together in that apartment. She dropped two of them off and just said she couldn't handle them anymore. And, you know, as a mom, it's hard for me to understand doing that. But I don't know what she was going through at that time. And, you know, yeah. And, and, you know, I think she was just having a lot of the kids were having a lot of behavioral issues. And I think it's probably because, you know, they were so tightly wound when they were with him and so they'd go back to her and then just let loose um as they would tell me some disturbing but funny stories of the things that they would do to punk her friends like she would have friends over and the kids would like <laughs> they, they told me they would they would like mix up these drinks for her they'd like pee in it and like put a bunch of stuff in it and then just be like look i made you a mango lassi and because it kind of looked like that and like give it you know just kids being just like kids but like really you know just doing be, like the kind of behavioral stuff that she was dealing with with them was them acting out and looking for attention. And I think she just kind of hit her limit. And so, you know, unfortunately, the decision she made was not the right one, you know, dropping them off and basically telling them that she didn't want them anymore. Like she, the youngest two, the Du Bois, she's like, I can't do this. And she dropped all of their belongings off on our doorstep and said, I'm done. How do you feel about that when she drops the kids off and you're like, so now you have essentially full custody of two of the kids yeah she kept her daughter on her custodial days but the boys she didn't and you know from that perspective it just made it so much easier for me to believe his side of things because it's just like well you know i don't know what's going on with her but i'm just like that's that you know like what's going on here and it, it just there was so much back and forth like these poor kids got just jostled back and forth throughout this whole thing um and even it, eventually i i did leave um uh, when we were living in that apartment we went on vacation to Santa Monica for like a week or two, and it was like one of the worst, the worst times I'd ever had with him. In fact, I took a vow of silence for several days while we were on that vacation because he was berating me constantly for complaining. And, you know, I, I was complaining because I was exhausted. We were sleeping in his van. Um, he had a bed in the back of his van, and that's where we were camping in. And I was just, you know, we've got three kids and a dog. We had a we had a pit bull with us and sleeping in the back of this van and I just wasn't getting any sleep. So I was exhausted. And I was like, you know what? If you're sick of my complaining, I'm just not going to say anything for the rest of this trip. And I did, I was just quiet. Like I just, you know, I'm sure I said something here and there, but like, and on the way back from that trip, we got in a huge fight and I was like, that's it. I'm done. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. I moved out. I got my own place. I was renting a room and then he got kicked out of that apartment. And then he was trying to come and yeah. And then he was trying to come and stay with me at this room that I was renting. And I was like, you can't stay here. Like yeah. I'm renting a room. You can't bring your dog. And yeah. he'd come in like the middle of the night. Like, oh, I need somewhere to stay. And I'm like, sorry, like you can't stay here. So we broke up for um. And I actually ended up moving from that room that I was renting. I moved to the other side of Napa Valley, so I wouldn't run into him. I have, you know, and it's interesting because, and this is one thing I've noticed with my followers and with the people I work with, is that attachment style plays a huge role in trauma bonding. And I have an avoidant attachment style, so I can move on from relationships like that. I'm like, I'm done. I, once I hit that breaking point, I'm like, no way, Jose. Like, I blocked him. I moved, you know, far away so I wouldn't have to see him. But he knew where I worked. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I worked in a restaurant, so I worked right in the heart of Napa Valley in this, like, 
really busy restaurant. You know what he would do is he would send his kids in. So I'd be working like on a busy Saturday, and here comes these kids with like drawings and stuff that they made for me, and it was like heartbreaking. And I felt trapped there. You know, like you know, like what am I supposed to do? Or he, I remember one time he came. I'm like, it's like morning time. We're like setting up the restaurant. Restaurant hasn't even opened yet. He comes and he walks up to the front door and slaps a picture that his kids drew for for me. Like slaps it up against the door. Goodwill hunting style. Like, yeah. You know, like those apples or whatever the hell he says. Do you like apples? Here's a picture. How about them apples? (laughs) It was the, and my coworkers were like, is this guy for real? Like, what is happening here? But that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to get to you through the kids because, yeah. you know, I'm sure you had a soft spot in your heart for the kids. So maybe even if that's disappeared or afraid from him, he still knows that he has the end with the kids. It was always the kids. He always got me with the kids. And, and you know, he just kept trying. And then I think it was like about six months later, it was around his daughter's birthday. He reaches out. My daughter misses you. It's her birthday. She wants to see you. So I went and picked his daughter up and had like a like an overnight with her. You know, just to spend some time with her. And then next thing I know, we're back together. Oh. And uh, yeah, so then we started that cycle again. But I had booked a vacation before we got back together to Costa Rica. Oh. And it was a retreat that I, you know, it was like a personal development retreat where I was meeting like a small group of people there. And he's like, I don't want you to go. And I'm like, I'm going. Like, it's booked. I'm going. And uh, I was actually in the process of moving my stuff into his house. Um, before I left for Costa Rica. And then when I was there, and it's funny because this retreat was like about radical honesty. It was like based on this book around radical honesty. And so there was a bunch of exercises and stuff that we were doing and like self-expression and, and, you know, things like that. And so taking the advice, which was not good advice if you're dealing with a narcissist um, of this book, I was radically honest with him about so many things that were just ended up being weaponized against me. Like all of my past sexual relationships, all of my past dating, like I was just like, this is what I, this, you know, I'm like, I want you to know these things about me because this is part of my past, you know, and, you know, in the space of authenticity and developing connection, right, which is not a good thing to do with a narcissistic individual because you're just giving them the playbook of how to abuse you. But did he confide anything into you? Oh, no, no, of course not. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, no, it was not reciprocal whatsoever. Uh, you're but, trying like, to practice what you preach and, you know, he's just taking advantage. No, oh, for sure. Uh, and, and, of course, he was just, like, mortified by the things that I told him and just, yeah. And, of course, punished me almost immediately for those things, which should have been my, you know, clue to, like, oh, this is not a safe person. But I didn't. Business, everybody has a past. Right. Everybody has a past. You can't get away from it. And you just got to find the person who will help you kind of unload that baggage. But, like, of course, he's going to weaponize it against you. Yep. So that happened. And then I went on this retreat and I ended up having like an emotional connection with this guy on this on this retreat. Him and I had only been back together for like a month. I still wasn't even sure if I wanted to stay in this relationship, even though I was moving myself into his house. But that's kind of I just I had that like the codependent like enmeshment thing going on. So I was just like full bore into relationships without any stops. And so but in the space of radical honesty, I let him know. I said, hey, you know, I met this guy. And I kind of like him. Nothing's happened. One night we went out dancing and I got a little drunk and like passed out next to him, like on a bed, you know, nothing happened, you know, and I told, I told him exactly the play by play of what happened. And he flipped out, you know, of course we're emailing back and forth because I'm in Costa Rica and he's like, you know, you're a fucking whore, you know, get your stuff out. If you don't come get your stuff out, the, the, the minute you get, it's going out on the street, you know? And so I'm like, okay, well, 
I guess we're done. <laughs> like, you know, I guess that's that. And so I ended up hooking up with this mind guy. For me, because I wasn't 100% in it anyway. Exactly. So then I ended up hooking up with this guy at the end of this retreat. I come back and I tell him, like, I tell him exactly what happened. And he basically physically assaulted me that, that night, like, attacked me, like, and I... I, I fought back. I grabbed a lamp and, like, broke it over his back. But he choked me and, like, you know. And his kids were asleep in the next room, uh, basically trying to punish me for, you know, cheating on him. And I'm like, you broke up with me. And turns out, I turn, I come to find out he actually cheated on me the entire time I was on. Yeah, because he was in this kind of, like. Does to you, back to them. You're not allowed. Exactly, exactly. And because he lived in this little hippie community uh, near this, like, hot springs and, I guess, some women he kept, like, having over. And anyways, and and also, when I started moving into his house that time, there was a bunch of women's stuff in the shower. And I was like, whose stuff is that? And he's like, oh, I've been seeing this woman, but we're not together anymore. And she had bought a bunch of stuff for his house and stuff, too. Come to find out later, she was just out of the country for a few months. And they hadn't actually broken up. So there was like all this other stuff uh, that Daffy. happened. Daffy. And covered up. Oh, I know. And of course, you know, here I am in this situation where, you know, he has assaulted me and I'm thinking like, what do I do? You know, my trauma brain goes, what about the kids? Yeah. You know, don't say anything because the kids will get taken away and go back to their unstable mother. Right. And so nothing happened. Like I we even stayed together for a couple of weeks, but he, the funny thing is I ended up breaking up with him again, not because he assaulted me, but because he was so depressed because I had cheated on him that he was like moping and crying every day and just acting like a total victim that I got sick of that. I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't. So I was like, you know what? I'm, I am done. And so I moved out, moved my stuff back to my apartment that I hadn't fully moved out of yet. Or moving company. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I've moved so many times since this guy. You have no idea. And then, so, like, six months later, I was like, you know what? I need to start a new life. I'm not happy where I am right now. I ended up moving down to L.A. to transfer restaurants because the restaurant I worked for was a corporation. They had a bunch of different restaurants I could transfer to. Guess who moved into the same neighborhood the same month that I did? He, like, stalking you? Somehow somebody must have tipped him off or something. You know what? I I don't really know because I almost think he might have moved there a little bit before I did. We both had the same dream to live in Santa Monica. Like, he'd lived there before, and we we both were like, we love it here. We want to both live here. So I don't know if it was just coincidence or not. It may not happen. I don't know. You'll probably never know. No, but he moved because something happened with his ex-wife where she lost custody of all of her kids. Um, she accused him of molesting and took them to a DD's shelter and um, asked the judge if she could take them to her parents' house. They lived in Oregon. And the judge said, no, like this is, there's an investigation going on here. And she did it anyways. She, she took them to Oregon and then she, you know, got arrested for kidnapping and <clears throat> spent some time in jail. And, and then he was awarded full custody. So as soon as he was awarded custody, he's like, I don't have any ties here anymore. I'm moving to L.A. Because um, that's really where he wanted to be. But the crazy thing is he had no money and he had a dog and he had no credit. He had this. We had this like, yeah. And then so he ended up renting a room in Santa Monica. I think he was paying. I think it was close to two thousand dollars a month for this room in Santa Monica with his three kids. And uh, I had rented a, a little studio apartment in West L.A. and was kind of commuting into Santa Monica. And I hadn't blocked. And I didn't even know he was there. 
but I lost my phone within the first week of living there. I was at Bed Bath and Beyond, like left my phone in the cart or some shit. And and so I, and I think I had AT and T, and I had to switch to Verizon because the cell service sucked. So I had him blocked with AT and T, but I didn't have him blocked when I switched to Verizon, and I didn't even think about it. And then of course he messages me like almost immediately. Oh, oh, I'm here in L.A. And he knew I was there because he knew that I worked for this restaurant group and they had two different restaurants in that area. And he had been sending his kids into the other restaurant looking for me. And so he was. Probably, I sakes. Oh, my God. And then um, so he messages me, of course, the kids miss you. I'm here. I need to go up north for like a, a few days. Can you watch them for me? And of course, I'm like, oh, the kids, you know, they need me. And so, of course, I responded. And, you know, what? you know, what really strikes sticks out to me that I, you know, haven't really thought about for a while, but one of the first things that he said to me when he saw me, and I don't even remember exactly what it is that like, he said, but it was like a derogatory comment on my weight. It was like one of the first things that he said to me, like, like almost like he was like surprised that he still was into me because I wasn't as thin as I had been before. What a douchebag. I know. And the funny thing is, is like, I didn't even skip a beat or it wasn't like, well, fuck you. Like, I don't want anything to do with you because you're such an asshole. I tried to bring you back down to that worthless feeling that he can manipulate. I, it must have been something like that. But it worked. And next thing I know was paying his rent within like a couple weeks because he's like, I don't have any more money. And this place is like $2,000. And I've come to find out the woman that he had had an affair with that he broke up that marriage, she had lent him like $14,000. Um, to move down there. So he wasn't completely broke. He was probably hiding some of that money from me. And then, uh, and then of course, my brain goes, well, why don't we just move in together? Because we're both paying rent here, and I'm paying your rent over there. And so we ended up finding an apartment. Um, yeah. that was- and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think yeah, I think, yeah. like, as part of your content, is that it takes people, on average, seven times to leave an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think with your story right now, we're on at least four or five. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just a lot of definitely a lot of back and forth. And even the beginning of the relationship was a lot of back and forth before we even really officially were together. Yeah. And, you know, so we ended up moving into this apartment and I got pregnant within two weeks. Uh, yeah. So and I was bartending and serving in one of the most expensive areas in California. And we lived off of my income. And so I was supporting all three kids. I was paying for their therapy. I was paying for all of their food. I was paying for the rent. We got food stamps and uh, did massages every once in a while. And I was there supporting his dreams. You know, he was volunteering and, and like, doing donation-based yoga classes and, like, things like that. And he was going to become an actor, so I paid for his headshots and, like, all this stuff, you know. So I was constantly trying to, like, fund all of these things that were going to make it, you know, where he could finally be the breadwinner. And, you know, his excuse was always, I don't have childcare. You know, you're always working. There's nobody here to pick up the kids from school and, you know, all of this stuff. But guess what happened when I went on maternity leave? <laughs> you think he got a job then? Oh. No, I was on maternity leave for, I extended my term, maternity leave by three months. So I was on maternity leave for a total of eight months because I went on, I went early too because my feet were all swollen and stuff. And, I couldn't stand anymore, you know, serving and bartending. So, uh, you know, I was in I was in maternity leave for eight months, and he didn't work, uh, you know, a day of that, other than a massage here and there. And he wants you to pay for things, take care of his kids, but you can't work. What do you contribute? Right. And, and are you thinking like what, what's going through your head? Are you like how how am I going to support myself when I have a baby on the way and I'm taking care of his kids and I'm not working? And like what's going through your head? 
Yeah, it was insane. I, you know, the financial aspect of it was actually the reason why I left um, because I was feeling such a crushing weight of responsibility. I ended up um, right before I left, I was about, I was over $40,000 in credit card debt at that point um, because my, especially, you know, on maternity leave, your income, my, my income basically only barely covered the rent. And he was taking my credit cards and going to Whole Foods and ordering himself a steak. They would grill it for him there and he'd buy a green juice and, you know, whatever other things he wanted. He was spending at least $50 for his own lunches at Whole Foods on a daily basis on my credit cards. Yeah, he didn't, he did not care. Like he was just like living it up, you know, but here's me like, I take responsibility in this. I gave him my credit cards. I would just let, and, and you know, it, it was never worth the fight to be like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Oh, and by the way, during this entire period of time, he still had his van with the bed in the back, and he would go and party on the weekends and not come home or stay out till 4 in the morning, and he'd just be like, well, I'm just sleeping in my van because I drink too much, so I'm just, you know, who knows what the hell he was doing that entire time. I mean, just like talking about this, like I have that creeping feeling of like, but like I also just get so frustrated. <laughs> the narcissist never taking any accountability or any responsibility for their actions, like dead broke, not trying to fix it. Another baby on the way, three kids to take care of full custody. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go out party on the weekends and go to Whole Foods and spend $50 on my lunch. And like yeah. nothing, nothing there's, it doesn't seep in. It doesn't soak into their conscious. Yeah. Fuck, it drives me crazy. Yeah. And, and here I was, you know, and I remember sitting at home breastfeeding my son at two in the morning and I had the funny thing is I had access to everything like has I had I had the, I had the passwords to everything so I could log into his Facebook I could check his email if I wanted to I didn't except for this one time I remember getting on his Facebook while I'm breastfeeding my son at two in the morning because I'm like where the hell is he he's not here and I'm watching a conversation that he's having between this him and this other woman and you know what the really messed up part of it was the, the conversation wasn't like too crazy. Like it didn't seem like anything too untoward. He ends up bringing that same woman around us and the kids. He brought her to his yoga class. He brought her to he like we had like a dinner together when we and I was like my alarm bells were just like I was so uncomfortable with this woman and like him just kind of like inserting her and I was just like what is going on here? This is does not feel right. It was not there was nothing. There was nothing, like, directly, you know, for me to think, like, oh, maybe he's cheating. Because he's, like, bringing her along. Like, oh, she's just, you know, whatever. And I'm, like, no, this is, this, this is, this is something weird about this. <laughs> yeah. And, like, no respect for you after all you're going through and going through your pregnancy and everything. Oh, yeah. And, and there's so many instances of that. Like, you know, that woman that I was telling you that, you know, I'm pretty sure he had an affair with her. He would bring her over and, like, hey, have her come and hang out with us. And she always acted really awkward towards me. Like, I always just was, like, super nice to her because I never thought anything was going on because he always made it made sure she was older than him. She was, like, 10 years older than him. And he's like, oh, I would never, you know, he's like, I like younger women. I would never be with. She was beautiful, but she was, you know, a lot older, you know. Older than you. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there was just so many circumstances that, like, my alarm bells would just constantly be like, but I couldn't really say anything to him because there was never any resolution. Like I would never actually get any conclusive thing from him. And then he would just rage out and and act like I was being this like jealous, crazy person, you know? So, and I'm kind of a passive person. Like I don't like confrontation. 
unless I'm really provoked. In fact, it's funny because his dad's also a narcissist, and he's, like, the only person that I've ever, like, yelled at before because he pushed all of the right buttons. Um, and I had to, like, stand up for myself. But, you know, with him, it was just, you know, like, he, he was a very physically intimidating person. And while while he only, like, oh, physically assaulted Yeah, well, and he, like I said, he only physically assaulted me that one time. He would get in my face. He broke down the door in our apartment because I I told him I didn't want to have sex with him because I was exhausted and I, I needed to take a nap with the baby. And he was, like not leaving me alone. So I locked the door and tried to go take a nap. And he just broke the door down while I'm like, have an infant baby's crying. And he's like screaming at me, don't ever lock the door in my own house. And like, you know, crazy stuff like that. So he would definitely use like, intimidation. I remember when I was like, nine months pregnant, we got in a huge fight. And he was like, you know, being very aggressive and like physically intimidating, you know, and I was just, you know, completely distraught. Um, and you would think that like someone would be a little bit nicer to a pregnant woman, but apparently not. <laughs> so, um, but it was really the finances that finally did it for me because when my son was, let's see, he was about seven, almost seven months, my maternity leave was up and I was having to make the decision to go back to work or not. And uh, I was talking to my, my previous job and my ex was like, I'll stay home with the baby while you work. And I was like, hell no. Right. Hey. Because <laughs> um, I was starting to realize all of the stories that he told me about how he took care of his younger kids when they were infants were complete crap. He didn't actually do any caring of them. He, In fact, he told me a story about his middle son, how he would he, his middle son wouldn't stop crying. So he just put him in a one of those swings like all day, just left him in there, like didn't pick him up, just let him cry, and he just went into the other room to watch TV with his daughter, you know, and I'm just like, that's neglect, like, that is abuse, like, I am, there's no way I'm leaving an infant with you while I go to work, uh, I, his dad had bought us a car, like, a really nice car, it was, I mean, it was worth, like, $16,000, so I was like, here's my out, I, I claimed his kids on my taxes, so I got 12 grand back from that, I sold the car that his dad bought us. That was another 15 grand. So that kind of helped to relieve the crushing debt that I was feeling. I only had about $2,000 in my bank account. And and I was like, there's no way I'm leaving him here with this kid. I was like, there's the only other option I have is to leave. And so I contacted my dad and wrote him this whole long thing. Like, I can't stay here anymore. Like, I need help. Um, and my dad's like, done. Like, I'm coming to get you. My family knew. Like, they they had been terrified that I was going to get pregnant way before I did. Um, and I hadn't really... I'd been kind of isolated from them. I hadn't talked to them in a while because I knew that they were right. And I didn't want to hear what they had to say because I didn't want to have to like defend my position. Cause I didn't have much to defend honestly. And so my dad was like, all right, I'll come get you. And I was, I was going to take my time. I was planning on taking like a week or two to like go through all of my stuff and like get it packed up. But it, the, the process got a little bit expedited because I left my phone to charge in another room and my dad was trying to call me and I wasn't picking up. And so he freaked out and called the police and the police came and just did like a well check. You know, they like came to just to see like how it was doing. And my ex had just gotten home. So he hadn't been there, but he just got home. So he answered the door and the police were there and uh, it triggered him like really, really bad. Cause he's like, I'm, you know, he's like, he's, he's still having issues with his ex-wife and CPS and like all this stuff. And so he's just like, you know, how dare your dad do all this stuff? You need to get the fuck out now. Nice. He's like, if you don't leave now. And I was like, well, I can't leave this moment. My dad, you know, I had, I had to yeah. wait like a couple of days for my dad to like, you know, 
be the weekend because he was working and he had to get like a truck and stuff to come get my stuff. But I was out of there in like two days. That like initial disconnect like like did you go through like withdrawals like everybody talks about I mean for me it was the roughest time of my life you know because of that avoidant attachment style there was not as much of that like pining and like wanting to be back in the relationship but the one thing that really kind of kept me stuck and engaging with him for quite a while was the guilt that I felt because of the kids um because I mean leaving them especially now that they you know we had you know they had a brother and like <clears throat> That connection, I mean, I'll never forget, you know, my dad came to the back alley, you know, of our apartment to, like, load up the truck, and, you know, we're driving down the back alley, and his boy's, like, chasing a car, crying, you know, as we're leaving, which just broke my heart. And, of course, my ex was capitalizing on that, so, you know, he's sending me all these text messages, you know, uh, that were just love, hate, love, hate, love, hate, love, hate, you know, like, you know, for one minute, he's saying, like, I love you, and, you know, I miss you, and please come back, and the kids miss you, and all this stuff, and then, the next like hour he'd be saying calling me a whore and telling me you know how how horrible of a person I was for breaking the family up and you know and and leaving them in in that situation and all of that so I felt so guilty and I felt so responsible for his emotional state and of course he was you know like narcissists are using his children as his emotional support through that whole thing yeah you know when did you discover that he was a narcissist when did you come to learn about narcissism I don't remember exactly. It might have been something that my dad said. I'm not sure where I got that term. But when I heard it and I looked it up, yeah, you know, like, oh, my God. And and then, of course, like most people, you know, that just dive into that rabbit hole of research and didn't believe, you know, how like and you talk about the nine traits of a narcissist, right? The DSM-5, you know, he had every single one. Like, you know, they're like, oh, you need five Everybody, to qualify. I was saying the same thing. It's like, yeah, no, we're like, we get it. Like, anybody listening to this right now is, is getting it because their next is a narcissist, and I call mine my next. But, yeah, like, it's funny, too. Like, I've interviewed people who either, like, for me personally speaking, like, discovering the term narcissism was, like, the shining. Like, the walls closing in on me and going, oh, my God. But, like, then I hear from some other people, it's like, I'm not even sure, but, like, once I learned, it just clicked like that. Oh, for sure. And <clears throat> what was interesting is, and I don't remember if this happened before or after I learned what a narcissist was. I think it was before. Like, when we were having that kind of back-and-forth text, and I was in that space of trying to defend myself, like, defend my choice to leave, defend, you know, because he was telling me how horrible a person was, and I was trying to get him to understand you know, that I was making this decision and it was the right decision and there's reasons why I was making this decision and that he had responsibility in the reasons why that I was making this decision is, you know, and I was furiously, you know, trying to, you know, point by point, you know, rebut all of the things that he was telling me. And my dad looks at me because he, he could tell that I was getting like worked up and like constantly in this engagement. My dad looks at me and he goes, you know, you don't have to respond to him, right? And it was like this light bulb went off in my head. I'll never forget that moment. And I was just like, oh, what a novel thought. I don't have to respond. I love when people say shit like that. So, like, same sort of thing happened to me. So she put a false restraining order on me and framed me for domestic violence, but my trial is coming up very soon. Anyway, long story short, so I had a supervisor, which was one of my best friends when I got my kids back. And uh, I I used to say, like, pulling up to the house and seeing her, I'd go, it upsets me. Like, why is she dressed so nice? And why is she wearing heels? And why is she wearing, like, the tight dress and everything? And my friend, I'll never forget it, he goes, why did she just not look at her? And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, don't fucking look at her. And I was like, like, like with my eyes, he's like, 
Mac, don't fucking look at her. He's like, what do you not understand? He's like, if it's bothering you, don't look at her. And I go, oh, my God, what a novel approach to the world. Like, just like your dad said, you don't have to answer her. And you're like, oh, shit, yeah, I don't have to answer him. Yeah, you're right. I love that. It, it like, literally changed the trajectory of things because what ended up happening was once I stopped responding to him, the messages stayed the same. Like, he would continue that love-hate pattern of, telling me how much he hated me and then telling me how, and I didn't have to participate in it at all for it to stay exactly the same. And so I was like, huh. So every time I defend myself and every time I try to explain myself and every time I try to like do any of that stuff, he doesn't even hear it. Up into a brick wall. Exactly. So I'm like, well then what's the point? You're just wasting your breath. You're wasting your energy. You're wasting your sanity. How is it, uh, you know, so how has it been co-parenting? I'm sure difficult. We don't co-parent. Um, I got full custody of my son. So what ended up happening is um, I moved in with my dad for just a few months. Uh, he lived in Palm Springs, so it was only a couple-hour drive from Santa Monica. I ended up having to move back up to Northern California, which is where I was from, where both of us were from, because I just didn't have much of a support system there. And, you know, being a single mom and only having $2,000 in my bank account and I didn't have a car, you know, I needed to be closer to things and have free childcare, which my grandparents were willing to provide while I kind of got myself back on my feet. So I moved back up there and so, and I filed for custody in Napa County. Um, and so he would have had to drive all the way from LA to kind of fight, fight me. And of course he was telling everyone that I took my, he t- I took his son away from him and, you know, all the stuff that he was posting on, you know, the internet, which is funny because if he had filed for custody in LA County, like when I left, then, uh, you know, I, I would have been screwed if he had done that. And my so, uh, father would go to the edge of the earth to fucking get his kids back if it really mattered to him. Exactly. And so he was sending me all kinds of threatening messages saying that he wasn't, you know, that I wasn't going to have any custody. I actually, I tried to file a restraining order against him. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough evidence because it wasn't like new kind of stuff, but he, he had a history of harassing me. So I was like, you know, this is probably going to continue in that way. And um, I made a few mistakes there too. And so I ended up not getting the restraining order, but <clears throat> the same judge that uh, held, you know, the, the restraining order case was the, the, the judge for custody as well. And she recognized me and knew all the evidence from, from that case. Um, so that might've helped me out, but he didn't even show up to court. Like he was making all these threats, threats and saying that, you know, all this stuff was going to happen. We were going to go through this long legal battle. I think he was going through some stuff too. I think he, I don't know what the timeline was, but he did end up homeless um, after I left because I was paying for everything. And um, he ended up moving into his van with all of his kids again and his new girlfriend at that time. Um, He found another woman like to, you know, but she wasn't like me. She was, she didn't care. Like she didn't care about having money or anything like that. So she just did the homeless thing with him, um, which is super interesting to me. Like he finally found someone kind of on, on that wavelength instead of a woman that was going to like financially back him. Kids, that's what I'm thinking about. Uh, they're still together. Uh, she had a restraining order against him for a little while and then they got back together. So. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good news. So how did you get into this switching gears just a little bit? How did you influence? <laughs> I'm sorry. Say that again. I said, just switching gears a little bit. That's good that you guys don't have to co-parent. So how did you start getting into this influencer role? Oh, um, excuse me. Well, you know, it took me several years to really recover from that relationship. I kind of fell into some old patterns right after, was partying again, not really taking care of myself. Um, And I kind of hit like a rock bottom moment when I, and I ended up kind of continuing to date narcissists. I was in like three more really toxic relationships that were short term um, because I now that I knew what narcissism was and had that kind of education in it, I could spot it sooner. Um, but I kept doing it like and by the third one, I was just like, 
God, what is wrong with me? Like, why do I keep doing this to myself? Because even by the third one, like, I had so much awareness. Like, I could see it happening. Like, this guy was, like, so into himself. And I was, like, just going right along with it. And when I finally broke up with him, I went into, like, a really bad depression. Because I was like, God, like, why do I keep doing this? And uh, actually, I ended up doing uh, some mushrooms, some psilocybin mushrooms. And uh, because I knew that that was going to be, like, the thing that maybe catalyzed me out of that spot. And it did. Like, it it was, like, the right perspective shift that I needed to, like, get unstuck from that self-deprecating, like, you know, victim kind of state that I was in and go, I have power to change this. And I can, if I'm creating this, then I can create something different. Challenged myself to do 100 days of self-love. So I, I did this, like, online and of my like 300 Facebook friends like made this like public announcement I'm gonna do a video every single day on self-love and I stuck to it and you know like the one to two people that would show up on my on my lives but it was like the thing that really shifted me out of that state because I I learned how to love myself because I had no idea what that meant yeah. and I committed myself to to figuring out what that was and exploring it on my own and that kind of catalyzed me into, you know, I became a psych facilitator, which was uh, this kind of dual hemispheric uh, brain balancing technique that uses applied kinesiology to really like test your belief systems and then incept new beliefs and that sort of thing. So I kind of started there in like the personal development kind of coaching sphere. And it was actually around that time that I met my now husband. I kind of friend zoned during that time of like healing and stuff like that. Um, because you were afraid you would just go through all these other narcissistically, you know, abusive, not abusive, narcissistic relationships. <laughs> post your marriage, your divorce, and now yeah. you're like, oh, should I even bother with dating anymore? Exactly. And so, uh, you know, I, I friend zoned him. He was apparently madly in love with me. I had no idea. He hid it well. Like, he was in that space of, well, she doesn't want to date anyone, so I'm not going to, like, force that on her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but it, about 10 months after we started hanging out, I finally, like, was like, oh, hey, there's a really nice guy, and he really likes me, and he, you know, he treats me well. Um, and then, unfortunately, we got pregnant within, like, a month of dating, um, which kind of really kind of catalyzed our relationship and fortunately it was with the right person and, and he's been very supportive and, and loving and we've had a lot of issues in our relationship because of the pregnancy but because when you have the, that kind of intensity in the beginning of a relationship man all your trauma comes out um but we've worked through it in some pretty amazing ways in fact i'm doing a live on it in about a week we're going to interview him and talk about that but um, and then you know when covid hit that's really where things accelerated for me because I was still working as a server. I was basically a career server for like 10 years uh, working in Napa Valley, making great money. But the problem with that is you make great money and you don't have a whole lot of other skills and not a lot of time to you know hone your skills in something else. And when COVID hit, it was like, oh, perfect opportunity. I've been kind of practicing coaching and like working in personal development and doing all that stuff. But as soon as COVID hit, I was like, oh, career shift. So then I started, you know, working for free, basically just coaching friends, family, you know, looking for people online, practicing my skills, taking a ton of coaching certifications and, and things like that. And uh, and then I had to pick a niche. And I was like, what do I have the most life experience with? <laughs> yeah, better than what you lived through. Yeah. And so uh, I, I started, you know, I just started posting about narcissistic abuse and my personal experiences and, um, you know, sharing what I know. And uh, I had one reel that went viral, um, I think, a couple of years ago. And my, my Instagram account just exploded from that. And um, it's kind of been a wild ride since there. And, and once I really started working in that, like, narcissistic abuse, you know, with the, the coaching experience that I had, I realized 
I was way in over my head with trauma, um, trying to support my clients. I, at that point, I was an NLP master practitioner and I had my life coaching certification, was doing site case facilitation as well. And it just wasn't touching a lot of the things that and actually like really supporting my clients. So that's when I started getting into more like the trauma informed work and stuff that I do now and learning how to do like somatics and brain spotting and things like that so that I could actually start processing and helping people with their trauma because and it, it super helped me too. Like even just doing the trainings that I did, I realized there was a lot more stuff that I needed to address and, and overcome and process myself. So it's been it's been a crazy last few years, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll tell you, like so I said, you know, the way I started this episode is when I discovered narcissism, I just wanted to go around and start willy nilly just following accounts. And you're one of the very first ones that I followed and it was funny because when I discovered narcissism and I wanted to educate myself on everything, I was really sad. I was really fucking depressed. And like your account like brought humor to the situation. It brought education to the situation. And it just made me feel like, no, there's other people out here who get it, who have gone through this thing. We're not alone. And it's like now that, you know, like I have the platform that I have, you know, I don't have as much big a following as you do, but I just sit here and I go like, not only am I not alone, but I feel like I have an army behind me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Really appreciate your content. People um, follow you and look you up and, uh, you know, do your coaching classes and all that kind of stuff. Um, just at the self-love method on Instagram and Facebook. I, I do most of my stuff through Instagram. I'm, I'm putting together a website currently, but the selflovemethod.coach will just take you to my landing page for my course. You know, I do group coaching. I do primarily group coaching now. I, I found that group coaching is kind of like the most fun thing for me. And I also get like that whole army, that whole community that you're talking about, that validation and like having that kind of group aspect um, has been really transformative. I found for myself and for, for, you know, the people I support. So group coaching is like my jam right now. I do work one-on-one with clients as well, but yeah, so that's where you can find me and kind of some of the stuff that I offer. The self-love method, check it out on Instagram, check it out online. Um, Tiana, thank you so much for doing this episode. It was really, really cool to have you on. Yeah. I really appreciate you having me as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, until next time, everybody.